0: Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Today I want to share a message with you entitled, The Key to Great Sex. The Key to Great Sex. I know that some of you weren't going to take notes and now all of a sudden you are. And you're welcome to do that. We won't judge you if you take out a notebook right now. The key to great sex. And I want to share this with you biblically. Two scriptures that I want to start off with this morning. Song of Songs 1 and verse 2. The bride says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Something better. Great sex. Matthew 7 verse 24 to 27. I want to read to you as well this morning. It says, everyone who then hears these words of mine, and this was Jesus speaking, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Build your house on the rock and your house will stand. Build it on the sand, on something that moves and shifts and, and, and isn't stable, like the culture of our world, and you will find great calamity coming in on the path ahead. Proverbs fourteen twelve kind of confirms this when it says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to man and that includes most DIY projects, all right? The potential, at least, for death is there. But this is no more true than in the area of sex and sexuality. We have built so much of our ideas, our philosophies, our approaches on a worldly culture which is nothing more than shifting sand. There's no truth in it, there's no stability in it, there's no life in it, there's no security there, there's no fulfillment there. But yet we run after it. We adopt it because it appeals to our sinful nature. It appeals to the, 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 the part of us that just wants to do whatever we want to do and rejects maturity and rejects responsibility. It's kind of a Hugh Heft, 14 uh, year old fantasy in the area of sex that has gripped our culture to think this is what great sex looks like. And it's rubbish, it's broken, it's flawed. The world has philosophies, strong philosophies. Almost, They're they're almost militant about it. They'll take their views of sex and sexuality and and hold it up as if they were virtuous and good. And anyone who disagrees with it is immediately sidelined as intolerant and narrow-minded and bigoted. But what is the foundation of the premise? What is the kitchen table at the bottom of the tower? What is the foundation of the world's view on sex and sexuality? In maths and in any other scientific field for that matter, if your starting point is incorrect, your foundational premise is false, every other premise you build upon that is false as well. When your initial equation, your base equation is wrong, every calculation beyond that is flawed as well. And the starting point in our modern world Our modern worldview of sex is, number one, that there is no God. They start out there, that everything is just physiological, even though they cannot explain the origin of all things, that traditional morals are a cultural construct, that the church and the Bible and, 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 and the traditional biblical view of sex is just something culture developed to keep society in check. And so essentially, the universe, as a result of that worldview, is amoral. There are no real morals that are intrinsic to our lives. It's all just been created through society. And therefore, if the universe is amoral, and there is no God, and there surely is life, and then there is death, which seems inconsequential according to their worldview, then life is just simply all about the expression of self. I mean, if nothing else matters, then at least let's just have a good time and just see how much fun we can have until we die. Ultimately, that puts you at the center of your universe and your own selfish experience becomes your God. They worship their own hunger and their own lusts and their own desires, and there's no greater vision. There's no deeper understanding. There's no true purpose and true meaning. We can create some temporal meaning, but there's nothing metaphysical. There's nothing supernatural. There's nothing eternal. That's the foundational premise. That's the wonky kitchen table right there. And now you throw onto that unholy fire the fuel of sex. We begin to understand why so many lives and so many families and so many marriages are on fire, and I'm not talking about in a good way, okay? Why there's so much harm. So I wanna look today just at two or three of the general sexual philosophies of our culture and discuss their validity both from the scriptures and also from experience and from science, from what the data shows us, from, from the, the quantitative data that we have around this area. And I wanna talk about how a godly approach to sex and sexual intimacy, believe it or not, is the key to great sex. We've already addressed the idea earlier in this message and also in the previous messages that sex isn't just physical. And I think any honest person, Christian or non-Christian here today, would admit that it has far greater effect on all of us than just a simple physical one. From psychological to emotional to spiritual, to relational, and even societal, sociological, sex involves all of you and not just you. We're a community, we're a society, we're people in relationship. And so it involves others as well. And people who deny that truth do it to their own detriment. I don't think you can be, I don't think you can hold a certain amount of just integrity and claim that sex has no other effect other than physical. Physical. Years ago, I worked for a Christian youth magazine, and uh, one of the issues that we did was called The Sex Issue, where we actually spoke about all these differing views on sex, and one of my roles at the magazine was to liaise with the different movie houses and, and uh, the record labels to see how their current releases, their new releases, could be used in our magazine as a platform to have these discussions. So if there was a movie kind of dealing with the topic of sex, we could use that movie in our magazine and we could actually talk about the philosophy behind it. And, 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 and as we sat down, obviously I, they knew that I was from a Christian publication and I'm sitting down and I've got these guys working for the movie house going, okay, let's talk about sex. And I remember one of the, the heads of the media liaison team turning to me and said, right, I mean, we'll get to the content and the movies and whatever, but before we get there, can I just kind of share my personal view with you? And he said to me, You know, the thing is, the thing that I have against what the Bible says, the thing that I disagree with from the perspective of what the biblical stance on this is, is that I just think that it's important to know whether or not you are compatible with somebody sexually before you marry them. You've got to be sexually compatible. He actually used the terminology which you may have heard before, which is you've got to test drive the car before you buy it, which is a little crass, but that's what people say. This myth of compatibility that says that you select a husband or wife based on how good the sexual experience is. I mean, I I don't know if I've heard any stronger recipes for disaster than that one right there. Like, forget about being compatible emotionally, intellectually, in terms of your values and your worldview, and do you actually like the person, and do you, do you love being around them, and do you connect, and, and do you have, have the same views on, on, on important matters, and, and all the things that make a great couple great? No, is the sex good? It was designed to be good. Okay, it, it, it's not bad, we can get married now. If we got testimonies from all the people who married people they enjoyed having sex with, we would hear endless tales of broken hearts and broken lives, because sex is designed to strengthen a marriage, but it doesn 't make a marriage it doesn 't make a marriage in that moment, as he put that philosophy across to me, it got very real real soon and, and I sat and, and I just responded, I was caught a little bit of God, but but I think the Holy Spirit just inspired my words, the words that follow, because I immediately responded to him saying, there's really only one thing that leads to sexual compatibility and great sex, and that is love expressing itself within the context of a lifelong commitment. That's how you have great sex. That's where compatibility comes from. When you are expressing true love to another person within the context of commitment, You think you're having great sex outside of marriage? You're a fool. Nothing compares to the beauty of sex as an act of covenant. I come back to Song of Songs, which we've referred to a lot in this uh, this series, but where you have this groom and the bride describing their feelings for each other. And this is even, this is the first time they're experiencing the sexual intimacy and the way they talk about each other. Just listen to this. I'm just going to read a few of the verses The bride writes, Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let go. Song of Songs 2.10, My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Now, does that sound like a couple that's going to struggle to enjoy sex together? Right? As they talk about each other, you can hear the passion and, and, and and the desire they have for one another. They haven't even had sex yet. There's something so powerful in choosing somebody to love and committing your whole heart to them. The world's view on this is a cheap substitute of sex without love and pales in comparison to truly being wanted by someone who loves you like this and loves you enough to commit to you for life. Married couples here today do you want to have better sex? Do you want the key to great sex? Start by loving your wife, loving your husband. Adore them, appreciate them, spend time with them, connect with them. No sex, regardless of the, of the picture that, that the media tries to paint, no sex out there can even come close to the sex that you're able to have within the context of marriage. Just love the one that you're with. And this leads me to the second misalignment that our society has fallen prey to, and that is that sex is about me. That it's all about my pleasure, it's all about my experience, it's all about my wants and needs and my body. It's a culture of personal fulfillment that's all about personal fulfillment, and the scriptures always contradict this kind of thinking. This is, this is not biblical, this is not the right way to orientate your life. If your life is orientated towards you and you become the center, it's like a narcissistic way of living your life. Nobody comes out of that happy. Nobody finds fulfillment in that kind of a worldview. The Bible flips this thing on its head and it says things like, if you wanna lead, you should serve. If you wanna be blessed, you should give. If you want to be refreshed, you should refresh others. It always says that personal fulfillment and satisfaction is when you are not the center of your life. In Proverbs eleven twenty five, it says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The key to personal happiness and fulfillment is to forget yourself. If you want to be blessed but our world says that it's all about you having the right to have what you want, including sexual expression. This is, believe it or not, the one topic that we talk about, there's a few of them, but this is one of the topics that when we talk about it, people get angry. In fact, it seems like no one gets angrier than when you start addressing sex and money because there's such strong idols in our lives. People quickly fold their arms and say, who is this guy to tell me how to express my sexuality? What gives him the right to tell me how I should live? It's an idol for people. They find their joy in it, they find their happiness, and they will give up, people will give up anything in the name of religion or piety or faithfulness or whatever, but when it comes to the area of sex, so many stand back and say, you're asking too much. Now, you're, now you've gone too far. Our world says that you have a right to express yourself sexually in any way that you desire. And this is predicated on another false idea. Another kitchen table. And that false idea is that sex will make me happy. If you start there, you're going to make some real mistakes going on from that. The idea that sex will fulfill me and satisfy me and quench the longing that I have for connection and intimacy, it won't. No earthly connection can satisfy the longing of our souls. It's only our relationship with Jesus that can do that. It's only our walk with God that can truly bring fulfillment and health to our lives. Sex simply will not, make you happy, and even less so when it's self-centered and all about you. Again, the scriptures show us that sex is about two people deeply committed to serving one another, to serving the other. Again, married people. If husbands and wives approached sex in this way, I promise you your sex life and your marriage will improve. Rather than, can you meet my needs, please? How can I serve yours? How can I love you? How can I protect you sexually? It's one of the greatest gifts married couples can give to one another. And we looked at that scripture in 1 Corinthians 7 that says that for the reason of protection and unity and and all the powerful things God has put, sex within marriage, don't withhold it from each other, but serve one another. The best sex on this planet is had when two married people decide they're going to serve one another and love each other and be vulnerable with each other. Everything else pales in comparison. It's a false front. And I know that married couples, and this is just a side note, this one's for free this morning, but I know that as married couples, when sex becomes... Uh, you, You become a little bit more used to it as you go on the journey of marriage. There are many times when you don't feel like you're in the mood, and I actually remember a pastor speaking about this at one point, and I always think back to what he said at that time, because it's okay if you don't always feel in the mood to have sex, but it's amazing what happens when you simply decide that you would be willing to get there, married couples. You don't always have to feel like having sex with your spouse, but are you willing to choose to serve them and to get there in the moment? It can transform your marriage. Finally, this morning, I want to end on uh, one specific point, and uh, we're going we're to do the Q&A next week. So this is, this is probably my most important point in all, everything that I've shared in this sex series, and, uh, and, because I know that perhaps you've been listening to me and you've listened to all the things that we've said, and you're saying to yourself, Pastor, I hear what you're saying. I agree with most of it. I can see how that would work. But when I look at myself in the mirror, when I'm not in church, when it's not a Sunday morning, when I'm not busy worshiping, when it's just me looking in the mirror, I have no idea how what you're talking about is going to be possible for me. How would this work for me? I don't think I can get to the place that you're talking about from where I am now. And that's a lie that the enemy would want to force upon you. Many people say, I've built such a dependence upon sex. If we're honest for a moment, I've built such a dependence upon sex or pornography or lust or on the person that I'm dating that it would be impossible for me to step back from that. Married couples, perhaps you're saying, my marriage is way beyond that point or it's never even had that kind of intimacy and vulnerability so it might be possible for other married couples but for us that's just not possible Luke 18 verse 27 Jesus said this he said what is impossible with man is possible with God and this is such an important point because so many times we read what the Bible has to say about these powerful areas of our lives, and we think, "Ah, yeah, I just couldn't do that. It's just not within the realm of capability for me. But this is where God, whatever he has called us to in the scriptures. If you read the Bible, and, and it really, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine when people say, just take the Bible and do what it says. Because honestly, if it was that easy, none of us would even need Jesus, right? Oh, oh, so we should just be good. Oh, geez, nobody told me that. Let's just be good then. You know, people aren't doing bad things because they don't know the difference between good and bad. They're doing it because they don't find within them the strength to do the things that they know is right. Even though they agree wholeheartedly with it. Paul writes about this in Romans 7 and he says, I agree in my heart that the law of God is good and I want to follow it, but I find within the members of my body another law at work. And the good things that I want to do, I'm not able to do them. And the the bad things I want to stop doing, I don't find the strength to stop doing them. He says, so I can only conclude that it's not my heart to sin, but I sin because of sin that is within me. And this is a battle that all of us know about, the battle of the flesh. So it's not good enough for me, honestly, to just come and, and and I would actually be doing you a great disservice if I set a bar for you of what healthy, godly, sexual expression looks like without then giving you the hope of the gospel, without then giving you the heart of God and the involvement of the Holy Spirit in your life and and to encourage you with the knowledge that God is with you and cares about this area of your life and wants to strengthen you to be able to walk in the ways that he has for you. This is where the grace of God comes in. This is where the hope of the gospel enters the picture. Grace isn't freedom to continue in sin. It's the power of God in our lives to turn away from it in order to hold fast to something better, in order to experience God's best. My last scripture, Romans 6, verse 12, talks about this. He says, therefore, Paul writing, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Don't let it have dominion over you. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Worship God, glorify God with your physical body. Listen to this. Sin shall not reign over you. It shall not control you. It shall not dictate your life and your actions. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because you are not under the law, but under grace. Grace has set us free from the dominion. We were slaves before. We are slaves no more. We're no longer slaves except to righteousness. We are the righteousness of God And so because of God's grace, when we believe in the gospel, our righteousness in Jesus, it informs our identity. It secures our significance. It determines our worth and it satisfies our soul. It brings health and maturity to your life. We're no longer hungry people looking for temporal satisfaction. Instead, we're satisfied souls seeking to serve. To serve God to serve our spouses, to serve our families, to serve others, and this is how maturity all of a sudden begins to develop in this area. Like, how do I get mature? You can't just choose to be mature. You have to grow into maturity. My eight-year-old son can't click his fingers and be 18. There has to be growth, but the growth only happens when you're healthy, when when, when you're Beginning with the right premise, when you're putting yourself in a place of growth, all of a sudden we can have a holy and a healthy perspective, wisdom in the area of sex. We often talk about Jesus being the center of our lives and we say, Jesus is the center of my life. Every part of my life is surrendered to him. He is the center of every part of my life. But I wanna ask you this morning, can Jesus be the center of your sex life? And how does that even work? Or is that like the one area that we're left It's just like, okay, Jesus is involved with everything else, but when it comes to your sex life, like, that's completely separate. You figure that one out on your own, right? Because even though we might not say that, that's how most Christians live. My sexuality is up to me, but for the rest, I'll trust in Jesus. A good friend and a mentor of mine, Dr. Mark Stone Street, told me the story of a, a woman that he was counseling. She was married and struggled to connect with her husband emotionally and sexually, and it was as a result of brokenness that she had had in her life that made her incapable of, of connecting and being vulnerable and opening up, and this, and this is a common story in our world, and his advice to her, which I found so insightful, was that the next time that they were sexually intimate with one another, that she should start by looking her husband in his eyes by looking in his eyes as they were having sex and then silently praying for him, thanking God for him while they were having sex. Can you pray and have sex at the same time? Like naturally, that just seems like, no, wait, that's weird. Let's separate this. Like you got church on Sundays and then everything else, okay? Let's not combine these two things, but is Jesus going to be the center of our lives or isn't he? And this was a key to this woman having a breakthrough in her marriage where she felt that she could include Jesus in her journey to sexual health and connection within her marriage. Are you praying for your spouse? Are you connecting with them openly? Are you trusting God to protect you as you make yourself vulnerable? Because when we trust in Jesus, the things that were impossible for us before all of a sudden become possible. Imagine if instead of excluding God from this area of our lives, we included him. Single people, that might mean trusting him for the grace to wait and to abstain. And married people, to open your heart to your spouse. If we looked at the instruction of the scripture and trusted in the presence of the Holy Spirit, to enjoy our sex lives like never before. It turns out, when all is said and done, that the key to great sex is redeemed hearts and minds and bodies, selflessly loving, redeemed hearts and minds and bodies through the power of the Redeemer. In the context of marriage, for married couples, by partaking deeply of sex, and for single people, by abstaining until you are able to live it out in this context. The key to great sex, to wholeness and to healing and to health in this area is to trust in Jesus. Some of you are still thinking, I don't know how I'm gonna do that. Let's begin by asking Jesus for help. Amen? He's a present help in time of need and we can boldly approach the throne of grace to ask of the God who generously gives us grace for every season. I wanna go ahead and do that this morning as we pray. I wanna invite you just to stand with me as we pray together.